Welcome back for another episode of Growing with My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined as always by an amazing panel. I'm going to pass it over first this week to Brandon Rust. What's going on, everybody? Glad to be here. Been a little bit. I've been crazy, crazy busy these last couple of weeks. It doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon. So always a pleasure to sit with the panel and chop it up, talk about what's going on and do the thing. Always good to have you back. And next up, Dr. MJ. Hey, guys. Yeah, I'm Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I am uh, excited to be back with you guys this week. And um, yeah, look forward to the show. Thanks, Jack. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Next up, Matthew Gates. Yeah, hey everyone. It's Matthew Gates. I'm an IPM specialist. So I'm very curious to see what we talk about today. Gonna be doing some chat Q and A, and uh, I got a question. I believe it's from Sour Diesel Tangy in my DM, so I'll probably kick it to first, and then we'll go to the chat. And then uh, I want to go ahead and introduce next Kyle Breeder. Welcome back. Yeah, hey everybody. Uh, I've definitely been uh, MIA for a few weeks. Uh, I just closed on a house um, Wednesday of last week, so I'm moving uh, to Western Mass. Um, but I'm moving to Western Mass because I have an opportunity to be a COO in a 10,000 square foot cannabis facility out there. So I'm really excited about that and uh, quitting my job being an electrician during the day and doing that full time. So uh, just a lot of things going on and uh, just really happy to see you guys. As I know it's been quite a while. Um, but yeah, uh, so I specialize in feminized breeding. If you're looking for seeds, I do have a website. It's purebreeding.com. Uh, I do have a few packs left of a drop that we I did uh, a few uh, a month ago maybe or something like that but uh yeah feel free to reach out i'm on all social media platforms and again glad to see you guys again happy to have you back last and certainly not least for now uh spartan's going to be joining us a little later but the american one hello jack and panel and everyone in chat it's good to be here and yeah i'm excited to uh see what we get into this week and uh look forward to uh all the topics I want to say congrats to Kyle on uh, the, you know, purchasing the home. It looks nice from the photos I saw on some of the DMs. Congratulations to you on that. It's always a nice accomplishment. And I'm um, looking forward to seeing how things go for you with the commercial facility and transitioning from an uh, electrician to the full-time cannabis thing. Thanks, Jack. Best luck on that. Appreciate that a lot, man. It's a, if for anybody that's, I know it's like super off topic. It's not what we do, but uh, for anybody that's trying to buy a house, man, uh, I've had like, I had 30 year mortgage brokers that's been doing this forever that told me that the numbers just don't work and to quit. And uh, I just kept, kept trying, man. And uh, I made, I pulled it through. So just don't let people uh, tell you what's going on. You have to kind of be your own self advocate these days. So. My dad, you still always say you're never out of options until you stop looking. And uh, I think that's a good kind of philosophy sometimes is, uh, Maybe there's yeah. another option out there that you just haven't explored yet. Yeah, agreed. And uh, so a show topic question um, from Sour Diesel Tangy says, what is the effort involved in going from a cocoa grow in a three-gallon pots to a soil grower in seven-gallon pots? How much soil and amendments would one need? How not to overwater in soil, question mark, runoff, question mark, pH, question mark. AirPods like rain science, are they worth the investment? So I think that as a start, that'd be a good place to start. And I guess I'll pass it first to Brandon Rust and ask if you were going from a three gallon pot of cocoa and transitioning into a soil grow, 
what would your uh, approach be? Yep. I actually just did a consult on Friday and they have four facilities and they run all cocoa. They do three-part general hydro and they will be switching out to the Bokashi method because it's much more cost effective. It's a lot more, it's a lower maintenance. It is less, um, uh, uses, you know, less energy. It's, it's just all around just better. It's better. You get better quality. You get uh, yields that are on point as anybody who's doing, you know, hydro. And the way that it really looks like is simple because I, I usually provide, you know, one-stop shop solution when it comes to soil that's been already agronomically balanced. It meets those target nutritional levels that I, you know, try to maintain, you know, throughout uh, veg and throughout flower. And, and typically what that system would look like is you would get some soil from myself or another reputable soil company. And I like to use just the two products is really the only thing I don't know of three products. I use a wetting agent as well, as far as like the inputs that go into this and what it will look like is I'll use the microbe plus, which is, you know, from Bokashi earthworks, my company, and it's a consortium of several different species of bacillus. It has a pseudomonas strain, which is a purple non-sulfur bacteria. And then it has a saccharomyces, which is basically brewer's yeast. And these things work to, you know, create different metabolites that do different, that have different biochemical processes that change things up in soil, chelate nutrients, you know, make other things of bio, uh, bioavailable and such. And what, it, what my program looks like is once a week, I'll do a feed and one week I'll, I'll do micro plus. And then the next week I'll do humate fertilizer. And that humate fertilizer is just a one part solution. It really helps with the bioavailability of the nutrition because it also chelates what's already in that soil and helps it make it available because it has all that uh, extra humic and fulvic acid in it. And is this regardless also- of pot size? Because per the question, just to try and maybe help a specific grower, they're going from a three-gallon pot to a seven-gallon pot and may not have access to soil testing, but maybe they do. Uh, Maybe they'll go to that extra step and get it tested. So I guess you could even include, like, because you're doing that, um, you know, soil testing step and all that stuff. But on the home grow scale, uh, I'm curious if you could kind of break down the specifics of what that transition would look like. You can go, if you were vegging in a three-gallon pot and doing this same program the same way, you can approach it the same way. And that's why I've kind of measured out like what you need and how frequently you need to add these things is because when you're dealing with a smaller volume of soil, typically what will happen is the smaller the pot, the faster the mineral nutrition will be depleted and the faster it can become out of balance. One thing may get used quicker, causing um, a type of chemical reaction, you could kind of say, within the soil, with between the soil nutrients. An example of that would be like, let's say, you know, magnesium was used up and there was a ton of potassium still in there. And that potassium is, you know, uh, is too much as a percentage overall in that system would be blocking things out like the cows. 
that's just an example. Um, but so I typically like to run beds. And the reason why I run beds in the soil system as opposed to cocoa, uh, I mean, as opposed to uh, smaller pots is because I can test less frequently. So I can, when I harvest my plant, I can go send a soil sample out and then amend that bed right away, plant right, right away. You know. There's no cook time, there's no downtime. So I usually send the soil sample out right before the harvest is done. That way, when they're harvested, I'll re-amend that. And then I also test one more time when they go into flower just to make small adjustments to that soil's you know, profile. That's the way I approach it. And I'm going to make it really, really easy for um, home growers to be able to do this as well. Because what I'm going to be offering soon is we've been beta testing um, a nutrient calculator. So you can go and spend $55 at Logan Labs and get a standard soil and a saturated paste test. And you'll be able to go on my website and you'll be able to just basically put all of your data from those tests right into the columns that are provided. And it will calculate exactly what you need to add to that soil and, and, and what mineral elements that you need to, to use to, you know, to do it. So if it's like, to add calcium, you it might say something like add. Hey Jack, what was the question again? Uh, gr grower Sour Diesel Tangy asked about transitioning in a three gallon pot to soil in a seven gallon pot and how much soil and amendments one would need and how not to overwater in the soil. And they're asking, it's kind of a, a several stage question. Uh, should they water to runoff? What pH no, and no, are air pots worth the investment? So there's no, there's, you don't water to run off in any of these systems with my system that I run. You don't need to pH uh, any of the nutrient uh, fertilizer, like the humate fertilizer or the microbe plus uh, as long as you're using clean water, you know, and I always recommend people go get their water tested too, to make sure it's not, you know, that way. And if not address that, they do separately, but it's pretty easy because the amount of I calculated the amount of like top dress that you would need and you spend about um, 25 to $30 for every 10 yards of soil uh, per run on top dress nutrients. So if you were to scale that down, it's there, it's there, it's not much. It's a very small amount. All right. Well, I'm curious. Um, I'm, pretty confident he wouldn't recommend too many people do it because he's a big advocate of cocoa but dr mj if uh you were to try and help somebody who's trying to transition from cocoa over to soil going from a three gallon pot to a seven gallon pot what would be your advice and uh, how would you go about that yeah we'd stage some sort of intervention get a bunch of friends together you know sit down and try to have a comfortable conversation with them no um <laughs> Uh, yeah, it depends on what you're trying to do, um, what your, your goals are, but I, I sort of agree, but I probably wouldn't be the right person to, to talk to about sort of how to, to move away. Um, I'd be the right person to talk to sort of about why you were unhappy, maybe about what's going on with your, your cocoa grow and maybe how to tune that better. Um, but I wouldn't begrudge people trying different methods, um, and sort of seeing what works best for them in their personal grows. That said, I guess I'll pass it to the American one. I know you've kind of jumped around. You've been growing for many, many years and tried a lot of different styles. So if uh, you were in 
Sourdies on Tangy's shoes, and uh, we're transitioning from cocoa over to soil from a three gallon pot to a seven gallon pot. What would be your approach? And I'll follow up after you uh, touch on that first part. All right. I'll uh, preface it by saying I never did a straight cocoa grow, but I would, uh, I would probably mix some cocoa with some of the soil and make like a little kind of fake transition kind of layer for the, for the plant. And depending on what he's expecting at harvest, if he wants a, uh, if he wants that one plant to fill a four by four, he would, you know, command a bigger container. But I would go, you know, at least seven gallon if he's going to just do like a kind of uh, like water only kind of organic soil. I don't know where he's going, but yeah, then, then I would just, uh, I would put it in there and I would let it adjust and veg before I would ever, uh, and yeah, let it get, you know, get used to it and uh, and then flip it into flour. But, um, and yeah, if you do the soil, if you do the organic soil right, you won't have to worry about pH too much. If you're using water that's close to seven. And yeah, other than that, I can't think of much else. Maybe some uh, foliar spray for transition to help it, to help it along, but other than that, yeah. I really appreciate your input there, and I'm curious if uh, Kyle Breeder has any thoughts on this matter. Uh, to be completely honest, I have never ran full cocoa. Uh, ironically, I am running a 50-50 part mix because that's all the uh, the gross local growth store had. I'm just trying to transition things to the new house, but uh, um. Yeah, I mean, I would either go with uh, with some of the maybe some other advice from one of the other guys. I just, uh, you know, I'm not too sure to be honest. All right, and that's how I wanted to follow up with um, how would you avoid overwatering in that transition? If you didn't already touch on that, because I was reading chat for a second, and then um, do you recommend something like an air pot or rain science, uh, any type of like more aerated bag, or are you interested in beds or regular pots? Like, what do you think? I still haven't yet done a, a soup container, but I, I would want to, I would love to try that. But uh, if he's going from cocoa into the dirt, I would imagine that uh, the, the, you know, that cocoa spot will be used to being wet all the time. He just has to worry about the rest of the, the media not getting too drenched. And uh, I don't know. If you wore, yeah, I don't know either, actually. But if you well, want it good, you should. The let cocoa's it know. used to being drained all the time, so the edge right. of the cocoa was like you know in the edge of the pot, and now it's going to be sort of buried in a peat-based media. So it's going to be. Wetter I think all that the, time. the cocoa could become hypoxic. Um, you know, depending on how you're watering, I don't think you'd be able to depend on sort of leaving it saturated all the time. Depending on the side of dryer. Yeah. And he's in a three gallon. He's moving into a bigger one. Is that what I understand? Yeah, three to seven. Yeah. Yeah. Is he I bringing break... three gallons worth of cocoa into a seven gallon? I believe yeah, that's he could break some of that plan. apart. Probably. I I wouldn't be afraid to break it apart a little. Bust bit. up the root ball and the transplant. Yeah. No, I, whew, that's going to really yeah. hinder the plant to to try to knock. I wouldn't advise that at all. Um, the the roots will be grown out right to the edge. You'll do a lot of re damage if you try to reduce the amount of cocoa. I, you know, I guess so. My business is kind of why I passed the first time is I think it's not going to, you know, it'd be better to start off doing this with like a new plant. Like, and I think that's sort of how Brandon was gearing his advice. Like, this is how I would grow a plant, like in a seven gallon container. Um, like, maybe take a clone and then take that yeah. clone and plant that clone into soil and start fresh, essentially. Yeah. So you're only going to be dealing with four gallons of new 
media. And if you're trying to just sort of, you know, amend enough fertilization in those four gallons to power this plant through the rest, because the, the cocoa three gallons isn't going to really have anything in it. Um, I, I think you're going to have to do more top feeding and more, um, uh, you, you know, do. other ways to approach this. It's not going to be sort of your standard seven yeah. gallon. That's why I recommend, you know, usually people do in beds because they'll maintain sufficiency longer in a seven gallon pot. Uh, you have to, um, you have to top dress or you have to test more frequently or exactly. I recommend it. Yeah. yeah I guess depending on the size dresses. of the plant. And, uh, it, you yeah, know, it's not even just the seven gallons, right? It's like four gallons of, of peat based media and, and three gallons coming with it of like, unamended cocoa i guess being unamended how much of the fact that it's been constantly kind of watered in with a certain ec does it hold on to that charge for longer no, than a couple days it doesn't really take a charge um so no the it, all of that is just in the water the nutrients that we provide other than the calcium magnesium exchange and you don't get that calcium and magnesium back anyways um, the nutrients remain in the water. As soon as that water is replaced, the nutrients are gone. There isn't any sort of nutrients charged into the cocoa particles themselves. So the only time I've ever actually done this was coming from a solo cup going into like a one gallon or yeah. like a one gallon going into a three or a five gallon. And that was more of a stretch to be honest, but I ran my cocoa a little bit more like synganic i would use earthworm castings i would use compost teas and i also fed it with the nutrient lines so and that's a better ratio you're potting up i mean this is almost a 50 50 ratio where it's going to be like half peat and half cocoa in that final pot right yeah the problem is they're going to be stuck with basically that giant brick of cocoa that doesn't hold any real nutrient value and the rest is going to be trying to feed it so those roots in the middle are essentially going to i'd right. imagine start that... to die off and not thrive well, they'll do fine. Whether they die off or not will depend on whether that area gets hypoxic. So whether it stays with a good sort of level of dissolved oxygen. And that's going to depend very much on, you know, the, the watering strategy at this point. Because if you can get the peat to drain pretty quickly, you can probably run this on a pretty high frequency um, and, and be just fine with it. But I, you know, it almost depends on how you arrange the pot, like how much peat is going to be underneath the cocoa. I would probably try not to put too much peat underneath the cocoa in the pot, if that's possible. Would Normally, you top dress it at all? A seven gallon pot's going to be taller than a three gallon pot, but. Um, would you cover that top of the cocoa with any peat or would you leave it bare cocoa? Yeah, yeah I don't want to bury plants down too much when you pot them up either. Um, I'm only thinking so like, uh, like maybe tiny... just sort of packing the peat around the edges if you can, if, if that sort of works, maybe you can get the right kind of seven gallon pot that is sort of low and wide as opposed to tall and skinny. Rain um, science, the one that he mentioned in the thing, they do have a few different variations, I think like sizes and shapes. Uh, I personally used them for a while before I switched over to an earth box. I think that, uh, like Brandon mentioned, like a seven gallon pot that might seem really small. For coming from a commercial setting or somebody who grows larger plants but the largest i ever got up to growing small plants in a closet was a three gallon pot and everybody says oh you need to grow in at least a five gallon and um 
they work as well. And five gallons work, seven gallons work and 10 and, and larger, they work as well. But if you're growing a plant that's only two or three feet tall and you're, you know, amending yeah. it pretty richly and you're flipping in a really short time period, I think that a uh, sea of green style with soil with like two or three gallon pots, you can actually pull off some pretty decent harvest and uh, you can go scroll back through my feed to see a few examples of myself doing it. And there's people that do it much better than myself out there. And um, so I do hear people saying, oh, you know, you need a seven gallon or larger, or you need a bed or you need a, uh, a sip. But at the end of the day, it comes down to each person's environment. What's their plant count? How many plants do they want to grow? How many strains do they want to try? Like somebody might just want one strain and then growing in a bed is going to be real simple for them because they can just, you know, have a nice simple monocrop and have it all consistent. Uh, running a bunch of strains, I think sometimes with the scrogs, you can get a little bit more unwieldy. So having pots can offer you a little bit of uh, maneuverability. You can literally move them around, see, oh, this one's getting a little taller. This one's getting a little bit shorter. And, uh, stagger them around, prop them up, set them on top of like a bowl or a brick and uh, elevate them to reach the rest of the canopy where you can't necessarily do that. If it's stuck in a bed, it grows up to the point that it's at. And then everything else that's up above it is going to start shading it out. So everything kind of has its pros and cons. And I always love discussing the little nuances of these opportunities. And uh, thank you very much for the question, Sour Diesel Tangy. And um, as far as the rain science, I do think that they were a good investment if you're going to grow in pots. But like I said, actions speak louder than words, I guess. I'm currently actually growing in a sip and I've set up my pots, which are now easy swap pots to be more like a sip where I've got a uh, pumice underneath and I will let the water run underneath. And if there happens to be water below it, I'm not worried about them essentially sitting in stagnant water. Um, so that's just a way to avoid root rot and other issues, I guess, at the bottom of the pot. But with that said, I think that we've definitely thoroughly addressed that question. And JP from NB, who was a guest on the show a few weeks ago, says, what is your guys' experience slash take on fermenting cannabis leaves versus flowers and applied as a foliar feed slash IPM practice versus soil drench? So JP, this sounds a little bit like, um, and I'm not the foremost expert on this, but I could send you a great book. Master Cho's son has written a book about Jodam natural farming and Jodam natural farming uses a lot of fermenting uh, using like water and cannabis leaves and other things to make IPM sprays, to make nutrient sprays. Um, so I would look to that direction if you're trying to go this route. And um, my buddy kind of taught me some of these things, but I never commit them to memory because he was running the show. And uh, it's really cool to see how inexpensive you can actually get. Like some of this stuff is like a one to a thousand ratio when you ferment the stuff down. Uh, like FPJs and things like that, just as an example, or like uh, there's like an herbal nutrient. Um, I think it's OHN something. FPJ but, being fermented plant juice. Yes. Yeah. It's like alphabet soup. And I, I definitely forget more than I remember with a lot of them, but there's a lot of acronyms. And if you just go look at Master Cho's uh, natural farming book or his son's book on Jodam natural farming, you can find them for free online uh, PDFs. They're very valuable resources on that regard, but I'm curious, Brandon, I know your business is literally called Bokashi Earthworks and Bokashi has a lot to do with this kind of thing. So what's your take on this question? Yep. It's one of the ways that you can turn uh, green waste into biofertilizer. And the way that that looks is typically, again, you use that same consortium, that micro plus, and you want to digest the material really finely. So that way it can be easier easily uh broken down and it's really accessible through all that 
you know, the uh, bacteria can get in there, really break that down even more, as opposed to just like throwing in whole, whole leaves, because I've done it both way just to see, and it is way, way better to do, uh, to break it down first. Um, and you just ferment it just like you would beer, you know, it, you have to add a sugar uh, with it, complex carbohydrate to help proliferate, uh, you know, to help uh, proliferate the organisms in there. And you just keep it airtight and it'll eventually ferment. And it takes about 18 to, you know, 21 days, depending on what temperature you keep it at. And you can strain off the liquid and it's usually stable for, you know, uh, a few months up to like six months at a pH of about four and a half, that liquid. And then you can use that liquid as a fertilizer. And then you can use all the leftover material. If you want, you can, uh, you know, add that to your compost pile outdoors and it'll be full of, you know, biology that can help uh, add, a, add a little bit of kick to kickstart your, you know, compost or put it in your worm bin, something like that, you know. Great advice. I always advocate people use worm bins and composts when they have the ability to, because it just offers such great inputs to the organic gardener at low cost with uh, great benefits. So uh, great advice there, Brandon. And I'm curious if anybody else on the panel has thoughts. Oh, there's Spartan Grown. I'm going to admit him. Hopefully he hasn't been waiting too long in the waiting room. But uh, does anybody else, it looked like uh, Dr. MJ might have unmuted there for a second. I don't know if it was just my screen flashing, but uh the question again, just as a reminder, is from JP from NB, who says, what is your guys' experience slash take on fermenting cannabis leaves versus flowers and applied as a foliar uh, feed slash IPM practice versus soil drench? Gosh, these uh, sometimes the multi-parters can get a little bit complicated, but I want to welcome Spartan Grown and ask if you heard the question, but first, just go ahead and introduce yourself. Thanks, Jack. Sorry, guys, I was late. I got stuck in some ridiculous traffic, but um, I'm here. And yes, I did hear the question. Um, oh, yeah, so introduce myself. I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram. If you don't have Instagram, you can find me SpartanGrown at gmail.com. Shoot me an email there, and I can help you with all your canvas gardening questions. <laughs> um, as far as the question goes, I would, I don't know that there's an advantage of going down the ferment route if you're already doing things like using your you know using your leaves to mulch or, or otherwise put back into the garden some way um the only advantage i can see over the ferment is maybe um being able to uh, i basically call it like making a concentrate but concentrate in in the compost world <laughs> so you're just you're just concentrating your your compost and uh, applying it all at once i guess into a concentrated area because the ferment helps break it down and make it more plant available quickly. So I guess you're trying to, with ferments, you're trying to, the, the problem you're trying to solve is a nutritional problem that you're trying to solve, I think, quickly, more quickly. Whereas your normal compost is used just as a recharge to the soil. You're adding some, a broad spectrum of nutrient, but mostly biology. So I guess it, it, if you're running into issues where you're constantly needing a uh, a source to quickly address things then yeah i would go down the ferment route but unless i mean a lot of people come up with a lot of work for themselves and they don't 
and, and they have to justify that work. Like if, if we're going to put work and time and, and effort into something, you have to justify, at least in my opinion, unless you're just doing it for fun. But um, yeah, so that's my opinion on that. It's like, yeah, I would do the ferment route if it was an issue that I thought I needed to address quickly. I needed to have like a concentrated, broken down already nutrient. To throw a twist then, on it, they followed up by asking, um, they said, okay, sweet, I've got a book. And also... I know they are big on leaf mold soil. Has anyone on the panel used it? Like black leaf molds and things like that. I don't know, but I was just going to say, I don't think that FPJ is necessarily an IPM. It's more of a nutrient from what I understood, but it I is, could be wrong. It is. Yeah. I, no, I was so just I saying just that, there are, that. Yeah. there are, uh, I think OHN is for IPM, but it just comes down to, learning all these acronyms and what they mean, how to make them, the concentrations that you're supposed to use them at, how long you need to ferment them for. Uh, one of the people in the chat, Sungrown, gosh, I just need to scroll up and find it. They said that they actually, okay, S, Sungrown bag seed. Jodam uses only water, but it will stink. Yeah, I've, I agree with that. Um, KNF is better for indoor use. And I guess there's subjective, better is always subjective, but um, if it doesn't smell as bad, that might be better for some people. So we do appreciate that feedback. I only ever use them outdoor in greenhouse and full sun. So we never really had to worry too much about the stink or the funk of the ferment. Other than the occasional time, it would attract some uh, like pests, I guess. And like not your typical one, you would think like maybe a skunk would come and eat the plant because you poured some funky fish ferment around the base and they got attracted to it. So that was a, one of the weird things that we learned but yeah it's a di different way of growing and it can be very very low cost but it requires a lot of research and oftentimes like local foraging or whatever to uh, get some good quality inputs that are going to work in your area so i think it's worth experimenting and, and looking into more but we have some more questions so i want to go ahead and get to those as well we have one from Smart Poker, longtime listener. I was just on his show last week on Saturday. So cheers, Smart Poker. I saw Dr. MJ over on Sundays and Confused earlier. So great guy. Uh, and cheers to Crispy Wannabe as well. Yeah, Smart Poker. I was just at his show this morning. So absolutely. Yeah. Let's get Smart Poker's question in. Big ups and lots of love to him and Crispy Wannabe for sure. But they say uh, not super important. Well, it's, it is because it's coming from you. And if you're curious, we want to answer it. And uh, if you're curious about it, more people will be. So they say, is it safe to compost drywall for veggies, garden, soil, no. raw, new scrap chunks, unpainted, etc.? No. I'm glad that you're so definitive because I had no idea. I really, I wouldn't even think to do it. Unfortunately, even though it is mostly gypsum, uh, they use a lot of glues and adhesives and chemical binding agents in that. And that is, if you do that, you're going to put that into the soil as well. And isn't even a different grade of gypsum? Like I've heard that garden gypsum versus uh, construction gypsum are even like completely different um, grade. I think you're right, but I don't know enough about that specific detail to comment on it. That would be probably back to the degree of impurities that were in it. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'd imagine that there may be a difference in that making gypsum into, you know, uh, sheetrock it sort of adds other processes that you wouldn't necessarily want to put in, but it is an interesting question for sure. Especially when you hear like how it's made, but sorry, go ahead, Matthew. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually really like the idea of, you know, just being aware of what things can be composted and things that cannot be. 
And sometimes there are things out there that you wouldn't really think would be possible um, or, you know, something to that effect or, or just the way that we construct some materials out there. There's a little bit more emphasis on making things more reusable. Right. But yeah, like yeah. it would be cool if you could compost your, you know, your sheetrock when you were doing demo, that would save a lot of, you know, landfill fodder waste. I'm, I'm also reminded of, um, you know, people using, taking a lot of time to find use for pumice after the, you know, winemaking process, you have all this like, um, you know, berry skins and things like that. And, um, you know, there's really interesting avenues for, for using that to do all kinds of things like either uh, turning it into animal feed or other stuff like that. So I definitely applaud the question. There's also don't give up on um, composting too, on some things that are generally not compostable or not considered compostable. There's bioremediation and you can use like the fungus or mushrooms, for, for example, to break down different things. And, and then those can be harvested off and remediated. And then your compost is good. That's actually a really interesting thing. I was just reading a uh, forum post about somebody who was asking about how uh, isopods, you know, like roly polies and things are able to, um, you know, remove heavy metals. And the truth of the matter is that they absorb, they, they bioaccumulate the heavy metals, wow, in their body. Just like humans do when we Just eat like from people foods. do or plants do or fungi do. Um, they don't go away. It's not like there's a little nuclear reactor in their body and they're just turn them into different elements that <laughs> way. <running> that nuclear. <laughs> yes. heavy metals cannot be created or destroyed yeah so it's kind of like um you know there has to be a process like with phytoremediation and microremediation there's a there is an important process where you take that material and harvest it and that's the removal you can't just put a bunch of isopods in an area and be like okay no more heavy metals so if only Bye. that easy, snap your fingers and the isopods take care of it. Go clean so up. I have a lot of books in my on my bookcase that that um, are about heavy metals. And the interesting thing is you can tell a lot about them based off of where they are in there on the periodic table, like arsenic, for instance was one that, you know, I was, I would see uh, people that reached out to me for consults that were saying, Hey, you know, can we, we want to try to figure out what's going on. Um, and I, and if they were having issues, you know, I'd always be like, Hey, this is, you know, what you want to test. This is how you want to test. You want to make sure you test all your inputs, yada, yada, yada. Um, but if you look at, I just opened up my little um, periodic table book at um, arsenic, the group it's in, it's in group five and it's and in that group is nitrogen, phosphorus, arsenic and antimony. And then, um, and what I was reading is the way that they kind of react and cycle like arsenic, particularly it cycles the similarly at, uh, the, the way that um, phosphorus does. And it has the same kind of uptake path as phosphorus as well. And so the, if you're looking at other metals, you can look at the same way. And a lot of them, they'll correlate with the, with the closest 
element that is plant available in the way they're kind of assimilated through similar pathways that those elements of the plant need. And then also the way they become bioavailable and the chemical reactions that take place within that system are usually going to correlate and be really similar to the reactions that take place with the mineral elements um, that are bioavailable or the ones that the plants need. So for in your example, Brandon, when you're talking about the arsenic being very similar in the way that it's uptaken to phosphorus, if you had a high phosphorus amount in your soil, could that exactly. effectively yeah. sequester the arsenic because the phosphorus no, 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 is no. uptaken instead? No, it'll, it'll actually it'll block it. it out. It'll like out, out right? High, yeah, yeah, because it'll outcompete. That's interesting. That's yeah. how a lot of uh, poisonous compounds like get into your body because they fit really nicely with the puzzle piece that is your receptors and whatever. Yeah. So like, yeah, that's interesting and, to, and, to and, consider. And, and then when they actually make it into the tissue, it's just like how you said, it, they fit into those same places where those uh, key mineral elements um, would be to cause like a reaction or create an enzyme or, and it'll inhibit that reaction. And so it'll cause a downregulation in the way that the, the cell response, the cell responds and the, 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 the writing of that code, it can be affected through, you know, heavy metals because it, it does that. It, it swaps out its part with a part of that mechanism that's needed they're bad and easily avoidable. I mean, it's 2022 testing is yeah. out there. You can get your yeah. inputs tested very low cost. A lot of it will come pre-tested, go to anything on build a soils website. It's all pre-tested. I'm not sponsored by them at all, but he does the testing before he carries it. There's a lot of garden centers that will also go through that due diligence process. Many of them don't. So that's something to consider. Uh, where are you getting your inputs? Is it worth spending that little extra to try and get maybe a cleaner input and then you don't have to worry about it. Uh, but we yeah. have, a good comment it's from like, here's the thing. If a soil company isn't testing their inputs or somebody that's making inputs isn't doing that. I mean, it's so cheap. It's $10 plus however much it costs to ship that small sample to the lab. I mean, it's literally so inexpensive that it's just shugging the responsibility at that point. You know what I mean? And I guess even to the grower at this point, like somebody said, uh, like $50 a test was too expensive earlier. Like this is a cheap home grow. And I was saying quality is kind of cheaper in the long run. Like if you test, it can actually improve your quality. It can improve your yields and, you know, save you money long-term and avoid headaches of, you know, being mismanaged by kind of stabbing in the dark by guessing with your soil yeah, amendments. So Eric, I made a good comment. I wanted to share uh, for peat-based grows. They said, always use a wetting agent, uh, some, some use soap nuts. If you're really budget strapped, I have used a plant-based fragrance free dish soap as a wetting agent. I've seen people use that Dawn or other ones, whatever it is. Uh, dish soap can work as a wetting agent for sure. Yucca, like Dr. MJ has mentioned, just a tiny pinch of that works as a great wetting agent as well. Uh, big fans of all of those. Oki Grower followed up with a question who says, cheap home grow. Do you have any advice on autos? I have a couple that are about six weeks old and huge Still no signs of flower. Best at the dock. Hey, to me? Yes. Yeah, you know, well, give them a couple more weeks, but at some point you may have to start suspecting that they might not be autos. Um, you know, that, that certainly happens to some plants, to some seeds. Um, but I would definitely give them a few more weeks before you gave up on them autoing. 
Uh, six weeks isn't sort of too long. Um, and huge plans, good, good job. That means you've done well sort of to this point. If you have six week old plants that you're describing as huge, that's generally a good sign. And um, yeah, I hope that, uh, I hope you got the space for them at this point because they're going to keep growing. If they haven't started throwing pistols yet, when they do, they're going to like, you know, go through the bolt or the stretch, what have you, and, and sort of really take off and become even bigger plants. Um, I, you know, the biggest plant I've ever grown in a tent was an auto that, that behaved like that and just kept growing. And it was like, ah, it grew all the way to the, the ceiling in my tent. So um, I, I guess be prepared, hang on to your hat, but you know, if like three, four more weeks go by and there's no more pistols and, and it doesn't look like they're they're doing anything but happily vegging along, you're probably going to have to drop them down to 12-12 lighting and see what happens then. That's a good comment there because I was just uh, in the chat writing to at Oki Grower, what is your lighting schedule? Because I'm curious if they're on like 24-0, uh, 20 on, 4 off, or like 18-6 because some people will run autos under 24 hours light and a true auto flower will flower under 24 hours light once it's mature enough and large enough or whatever. Yeah. Um, but some of them are like semi-auto or like we talked about this earlier, kind of like a fast finisher, or early finisher, as they used to be described in the seed catalogs, where they might start flowering at like 18 hours, where people will describe like, oh, this one started flowering while everything else was still in veg, like months earlier. Like they have stuff flowering right now while everything else is still vegging. So yeah. I think that might be the case. Uh, so if they're at 24 on with zero off, maybe try to go to 20 on four off or even 18, six. And I think he's saying 18, six now. So, yep. He just said 18, six. So that would confirm, I would imagine that Dr. MJ, if uh, I would agree with you to wait maybe another week or two. And if that doesn't do the trick, then flip to 12, 12, because uh, yeah, if they're photos, <laughs> then yeah, because it already thing. sounds like he's running out of space, right? Like that's where I, I mean, I've been there. So I know this situation, like I can't wait for these plants to flower forever because like they're already going to be too big to fit in like my designated cultivation area. Um, so yeah, like you could just flip them to 12, 12 now, but then you got to keep them on 12, 12 because you're never going to know if like, you know, they actually started flowering or they you know are just photo periods so take cuts um, and see if the cuts go into flower if you keep them in veg that would be the uh real sign yeah. that it's an auto flower i think because you can't really keep an auto clone it'll stay like the same age as the seed that it was popped with so you might be able to clone it but it's going to keep flowering with the rest of the plant maybe a week or two behind but i've seen people do like a clone of a clone with an auto but yeah they don't end up, it, it ends up like micronizing the plant. So you go from this big plant to this little clone to a smaller clone. And it's not really what you would consider like a true cloning process when you're comparing it to like a photo period where you can grow another full size plant out every single time. Right. Uh, so if it is a photo period, you might just want to maybe chop it in half, essentially take a bunch of clones off the top of it, make that your mother, try and root those. And even uh, if you don't want to mother it, you could take a bunch of clones and then flip yeah. that smaller plant into flower. So you could definitely top it. I mean, if the plant's getting too big and it's not going to fit someplace, I mean, you, you can, you can top it, cut it back. I mean, if it hasn't started flowering yet, you can still do that. I mean, especially if the problem is plants getting too big, but um, I, I do suspect it's six weeks. I don't know. It depends. Some, some will, you know, be six, seven weeks before they go into flowering, but it, usually you see some signs of it at least by then. 
what do you think, Spartan? I know you've also grown autoflowers. I don't know if anybody else on the panel has thoughts on this one. I mean, <clears throat> I think like, I don't have much more to add other than what um, Dr. Coco said. He covered it pretty good, I thought. Um, I think that uh, autoflowers are like the most finicky thing. So my, my usual go-to advice for people that are new to them is just put them in the final pot. Just grow them in the final pot when, when you start out. I mean, you can go ahead and start it out in you know, to a in the seedling, like in, into a cup, if you want to do that and transplant into your final pot, but I wouldn't do many transplants and I would get to that final pot quickly uh, while the plant's still vegging, while the plant, while you're sure the plant's still vegging, hasn't switched to, switched to flower. If you get the plant and it's starting to show flowering signs, don't transplant at that point because it's easy to stunt them a lot of times at that point so um and and you're behind then you're you're trying to play catch up because on auto flower the timer's set you, you can't just you can't veg your way out of things so but no what dr coco said is really the best answer i think teddy seedsman uh spelled interestingly i think that i'm pronouncing it correct though says at cheap home grow what specific auto strains do you know will grow fine on 24 hours on zero off um, the few that I guess I would say are like the older classic, like the stuff that were the early days autos, like low rider. Um, I think that Brandon worked with one that I would imagine would flower on 24, but I personally have never grown an auto, so I can't speak from my own personal experience, but I've seen people doing it. And, um, I, I know some of the Mephisto's genetic strains will flower mm -hmm. on 24 hours on zero to off. But yeah. the Russian Ruderalis that Brandon worked with, I would imagine, would be another one that would go 24 on, zero off. And to say like that it'll be fine, I personally, just this is like me applying some human beliefs onto a plant, but I think that most plants do a little bit better if you give them a night cycle or like a rest period when the light's not on them, especially like underneath a grow light, like 24 hours on is a little bit intense depending on your PPFD level that you're giving, or PPF generally. But yeah, I think... Uh, too. Night I has its benefits, like too. cooling and, and climate as well. Not just it establishes climate. a circadian rhythm. I mean, in plants, and they can sort of understand what's going on. I I, I kind of agree with you there too. Um, I've grown some autos that started flowering under twenty four hour light. The um, Dutch Passion autos started flowering. All of them started flowering under twenty four hour light. Um, but I, I agree. I didn't choose to keep them under twenty four hour light for very long. Yeah, I've seen some experiments. I think uh, it might have been Dutch Passion or one of the European companies. They recommended like 20 on, 4 off, or 18.6 was yeah. like their best results or something. But um, I never saw people saying like 24 on, 0 off was like the best way, the only way, and you have to do it that way. Uh, I've only seen people like advocate that for like veg for photo periods in some instances. Yeah, it was Dutch Passion. They, they advocated for 20 on, 4 off. Um and that's how I've started growing when I'm growing those seeds, at least when they're autos. But I, I think a, there's a, a rhythm to that. I've grown some other plants on that 24 schedule too, not 24 zero, but 24. We do have a experienced autoflower grower with us and a, uh, it's been a long time since we've seen him. Mr. Eric Robichaud from Green Goddess Supply is back with us and he's actually got a unit designed for growing autoflowers at home uh, that our old host our man Shane used to uh, show it off the uh I'll let you introduce it but welcome back Eric hey how you doing yeah it was <laughs> I've had other things conflicting with this uh time slot so I haven't been on here and actually it's been a while now but uh good to see you all and 
Uh, I just uh, finished up. I was actually running a, a Zoom webinar and uh, we just finished. And uh, I saw the link. I said, hey, let me pop in and say hi. So I uh, always, always love talking about uh, what we're doing with the armor. It's fun stuff. Um, we, um, uh, and um, I always actually, um, Spartan Grown, my buddy, uh, you, you had the uh, 2020 Mendocino hat. I always think about you. We're selling 2020 seeds now nice awesome and, yeah so i remember you used to have the uh, the 2020 hat yeah yep actually I, my son that was his favorite so he's got it now <laughs> there you go nice yeah so i'm i'm actually growing out uh one of their uh, whiskey zulu uh whiskey zulu autos right now oh, nice good boy thanks uh, growing one of those too yeah yeah we did uh, we just picked up we've got uh the autoflowerstore.com we started our own uh uh seed just seed bank um, we've been working with Humboldt Seed Company, uh, uh, Genome Automatics, uh, you know, former Mandalorian, right? Uh, his black no. strap is phenomenal. Um, and um, uh, so we've added four strains from 2020. Uh, we've got their Biscotto, their um, Trick, Vitamin, and Whiskey Zulu. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I, picked, I picked things that, that would go, that would work really well in in the armoire and if you're growing in a confined space you came uh, at the perfect time because we're actually talking about auto flowers and auto growing somebody had an auto that's been growing for six weeks and it hasn't showed any signs of flower we just started kind of talking about light cycles and what we might kind of feel as the ideal light cycle uh, i was kind of arguing that 24 hours on and zero hours off is probably not the best so and then we were kind of talking about 20 on four off or 18 six so i'm curious yeah. what's your recommendation with the armoire Sure, sure, absolutely. So we can speak, definitely speak to all that. So this is exactly what we do. Um, so I will say this. Um, me personally, I'm at 186. Um, we, um, uh, I have no problem going 20 and four, and I have no problem with anyone who wants to do 24. I'm like, all right, 186, 20 and four, you know, knock yourself out, whatever you want to do. Um, the 24 zero, um, I, don't recommend that. I do have a problem with that. I understand people all the time. Oh, I do it all the time. You know, I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. I mean, I do 80 down the highway all the time too. It doesn't make it legal, you know, uh, but, uh, or, or a good, or a good idea. Um, but um, the 20, you know, there are certain things that people are like, I do it all the time. Um, it's hard to, I guess, you know, you really need to do some, some, you'd need to do a controlled experiments and, and so forth and really get a feel for it. But, uh, we just believe that, that, um, plants, they're living things. They need time to rest. They need rest also. Um, there's also that the, the, um, the light cycles besides just big, big yields, there's also, um, people who are down South, um, who are in really hot you know, like that in Texas and New Mexico. Um, and if they're having problems keeping their environment cooler, um, they, um, that's where uh, light cycles can help too. You know, if, you, if you're just 24 seven, you know, just cranking the light constantly, uh, it's gonna run hotter, you know, than if you give it a little cool down period. Um, but, you know, part, part, of, part of photosynthesis, um, I'm sure you probably covered this, but part of photosynthesis it's sort of like step four out of four, you know, but part of that takes place in, place in the root zone, you know, once the, those sugars and starches are created and blah, 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 blah. There's part of that process that happens and it happens in the root zone and it wants to happen in the dark. Um, well, you actually are teeing up a perfect, uh, you know, lead up to the question we got from Chad Westport. 
says in a 24 slash zero, at what point does the plant send exudates down to the roots? Something traditionally done in the dark cycle. There you go. So exactly that. Yeah, I don't have the chat window open right now uh, to see the questions, but uh, I should. But uh, no, no, that's my job as a host. I think that's I'm, a misconception. But well, it's part of sort of the cycle that gets established that's independent of photosynthesis. But yeah, it's, it's not sort of the, the well, same. Plants are plants are going to release photosynthates during photosynthesis as well, not just during yeah the dark period of time. These things are all happening in real time. They don't just happen like uh like you know at certain times. Every single process in that plant's you know, all every single biochemical process is all happening real time, continuously, all the time. Well, there is no in photosynthesis, not photosynthesis, though. Of course. In, well, in photosynthesis yeah, itself, would, there's light dependent and light independent actions. And those that are light dependent only happen yeah. when the lights are on. Those that are light independent happen all the time, whether the light is on or off. A lot of people sort of get the idea that there are things that only happen during the, the quote unquote dark cycle, like when it's dark, but that's just, it's light independent. It's happening constantly, whether it's light or dark. Um, the other side of the photosynthesis, the, the light dependent interactions can only happen when it's actively receiving photons. Um, but there's nothing per se that sort of only happens in, within photosynthesis um during the like the no light period during the dark period yeah because plants can still release things that are stored within their cells and release them if they're trying to adjust something you know in the soil whether it be ph or if they're trying to you know mitigate some munching herbivores for example exactly yeah or for anyone who hasn't seen, this is uh, the armoire from Green Goddess Supply. Eric's showing off here. He's got a plant going in there. Looks like pr probably the autoflower you were describing earlier. Yep, that's the Whiskey Zulu. Looks pretty happy and healthy to me. Coming yeah. along. Yep, and that's our, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever shown this off here. Um, this is our new light. It looks like you got a cob in the center and then maybe a few yep. strips. Yep, it's got uh, the traditional oh, single, single LEDs on the side, single bulb LEDs, and then cobs in the middle. And we've got, <clears throat> and we've got them on dimmer knobs, so you can control them more, <clears throat> excuse me, a little more finite control than just like an on-off, you know, sort of loom veg switch. Um, and then I've got, uh, so that, that's, our, that's our new grow light that we're kind of excited about. Uh, we call it our unicorn light because we couldn't find we didn't find anything on the market that did what we needed, um, you know, high enough um, uh, output, but with low enough heat output. We want light output. We don't want heat, right? Um, heat's not our friend. So we, um, not, not for us in a box and in an enclosed confined space. So uh, we, we did a lot of work. We, we actually invented this uh, um, ourselves um based on uh you know not, not that any of the discrete components didn't exist but um but but put it all together into a light that would work for what we needed um in our environment um 
And uh, we, we had to build our own. We couldn't find one off the shelf that, that gave us, you know, they were either they ran too hot, they weren't powerful enough, um, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, and uh, footprint size, you know, to fit to, within the box. Some of them were too big, some too small. Um, so we built our own. That's cool. I'd be interested to see uh, Dr. MJ here on our panel. He does grow light testing. So I don't know if you have the availability to do this, but it'd be cool to see a little crossover between Green Goddess Supply and uh, Cocoa for Cannabis. To, he sets up the uh, reflective walls, has the professional uh, sensors and everything, and shows what it will do in a practical grow space. And I think it's a, nice. That's cool. a great way to highlight um, lights and, and the qualities and attributes that they have for growers out there for different sizes and different spaces. So, um, yeah, yeah, and we could talk about doing that. Um, and I don't, I don't want to sort of put him on the spot too much, but I'm not seeing a lot of, of cob lights these days in terms of efficiencies. Um, so I'm curious about some of your comments in terms of heat and and other things, but I, yeah, I, I don't want to sort of put you too much on the spot on this. No, it's fair. It's fair. But yeah, we had we found that um, um, we, trying to work with off the because that's what we started at first was off the shelf lights, and we're just having too many problems. Um, too big, too small, too hot, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not enough light output. Blah blah blah. Yeah. So in terms of that, like light output, you know, is a function of efficiency and the amount of power that goes into the system. Um, and how efficiently that the system converts that power into light. Um, so, and the heat is going to, in the heat, at least in terms of BTU, it, it, you know, the impact on the grow space itself is going to be purely a function of the power draw. So in order to sort of lower the BTU impact, generally what we have to do is increase the efficiency of the system. Um, and increasing the efficiency allows us to get the same amount of light with less power and with less power comes less heat. Um, but there aren't really sort of other ways around that. Like if you have, you know, 200 Watts of power, you're going to get 200 Watts worth of heat, whether it's through a cob or through a, you know, a a bar SMD or whether it's through HPS or something else, um, all of those are going to end up producing basically the same amount of heat as a function of that power draw. So the, the big difference, if that's sort of the, the key point would be the efficiency of the system um, and the ability of the system to, to distribute the light, because I know in your space, you're, you're concerned about sort of, you know, designing this for a specific space, but I would have thought there'd be more gains to have gone going sort of with the, the most efficient technologies to be able to lower the power draw and get the same amount of light. Um, and I, I, I don't, I'm not sure that Cobb is going to be able to get the same numbers in terms of efficiency that some other fixtures are able to get. In, in what, as opposed to what we found the Cobb worked really well for us. Okay. Um, yeah, just in terms of the micromoles per watt that you're able to get with, with cobs, um, versus, you know, more distributed LED systems. Um, so generally like the best cobs top out at about in my testing, they top out at about two micromoles per watt. Um, and that's basically a function of the technology. 
um, they're a little bit behind sort of a quantum board in terms of efficiency, but quantum boards, the best ones top out unless you really sort of throw a lot of diodes at them. They, they top out not too far above that. Um, you know, LED bars that, that distribute the, the diodes pretty much out to the expected canopy area um, that they're designed to cover are much better at thermal management. So the diodes can run cooler and that's one of the big advantages they have in terms of being more efficient. And that's why like almost all of the large fixtures that you see on the market now are LED bar fixtures. Okay. I will say it has changed a lot in the last just couple of years. Cause like I built my light three years ago and at the time Cobbs being two microvolts per joule was like the top of the market. And now it's just shifted because yeah. the Samsung LM 301H or whatever, you know, diode. Yeah, and it's Oz not Rams just them. They out. were certainly the first to, to become really popular at that. There's been other diodes that have been very efficient too, though. Even the um, older And there's a lot of them now that are, are able to get those higher numbers as individual diodes. And then depending on how they're put together into a fixture sort of determines what kind of system efficiency you'll get out of that. It sort of makes sense because if we... Uh, look at what I'm holding right here, a cell phone, a Samsung cell phone. It has a LM301 something on the back. I don't know if it's a 301H, but it's incredibly bright for a tiny, yeah. tiny single diode. It will completely wa wash out my entire uh, screen very simply with a single diode that uses minimal power on a phone. And they have a ton of funding because people keep buying $1,000 cell phones either through their contract or you know off whatever it is, but they have a ton of money to put into these. And Consequentially, it just so happens to be they also happen to grow very good cannabis with the, you know, it's a it's the spectrum that we want. I think those are like 3,500 Kelvin or something. It's pretty much like a daylight white. And uh, if you put enough of them on with a good enough driver, that is definitely a great way of doing it. But I will say I'm still using cobs right now in my tent and they're cranking and uh, kick ass. But I do have a little like they're called Anthelians. Uh, the company is not even really, I think they want to been defunct. It was a South African company, uh, Red uh space uh anthelians this guy he made little rings that go around the outside of the cob to make it more kind of like a combination kind of how yours is where you get both the uh smaller diodes with a little bit of color because the cobs are like a, a white so if you look at the spectrum curve it kind of does like one of these right you get like a little peak a big peak in like the green and then you get a little bit in the red so what the anthelians that i got did just boost up that red a little bit more and then a tiny bit of blue so it just increased one the overall light and uh it also allows like the uh, emerson effect but i won't get into all that i just want to i totally forgot to uh, pass it over to kyle breeder because uh, he said he has to go at 8 p.m but i want to give him a shout out uh pbreeding.com if you want to find feminized seeds he did let me know in the chat he said he had to leave at eight his time which was uh just a few minutes ago so sorry about that kyle cheers to him uh, you can find him at pure underscore breeding on basically all social media platforms or pbreeding.com. Yeah. And it was actually, good to have we, we, we sell the seeds on our site too. We like it. We sell frosted sugar cookies, uh, raspberry pop tarts. So uh, we sell a few of his strains, the autoflower strains. Um, good stuff. What would you say as far as um, now that you do uh, have a seed bank, what are some of the more popular things that maybe people are buying again or the best sellers, so to speak? And um, what are maybe some of your favorites? Um, sure, I can answer that. Um, I can tell you that the most popular um, has been Blackstrap, originally Mandalorian, you know, renamed genome. 
Um, it's a gnome, like a garden gnome, I think. Like a genome would be like a the human genome, I think. That might be confusing because there's like there there are other people out there. I, I don't want to create yeah, confusion. That, that's 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 the kind of play on words inside joke. Oh, okay. So I guess I'm yeah. I'm, I'm ignorant. It was over my head. And yeah. if you want to add another layer, no means knowledge. So I mean, there we go. <laughs> Triple threat. Um, yeah. So it's uh yeah it's it's a little uh play on words inside joke kind of thing he has the picture the icon is like you know the unknown like a garden gnome <clears throat> um but that's why you know in the genetics and blah 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 and genome and you know, anyway. is it spelled uh, genome with the e it's capital he, he does a capital g in lowercase n-o-m-e uh, okay you know and it's just just kind of anyway um it's a little play on words kind of thing um but uh pronounce however you want um but um um, but yeah, the, his black strap, the black strap has just been phenomenal. It's, it's fun to grow. It's a fantastic smoke. Um, it's fun. Cause it's one, it's based on uh, a cross off of, uh, Anvil. So it's got like the dark purpley buds and stuff, which is really fun to grow too. Um, I got in a little phase where I was just like growing purple shit all the time, you know, it was like, they're just fun, you know? Um, and, um, um, I kind of gotten over it, but it was a novelty for a while. And I was like growing all purple strains. Um, I'll, need, I'll need your photos because for 50 strains of purple, I do want to feature Anvil as the first autoflower featured in either of my books. And uh, I, he literally, I've seen a hundred people grow his Anvil every time it's purple, every time it's killer. They always love it. And so I'm not surprised at all to hear this. That yeah, cross he, of that I mean, he, he, he knows what he's doing. He does, he does a great job. It, it consistent as hell. You know, I mean, it's, it's just really stable, consistent. Um, and it's gotten to be really popular. And um, he, um, so he, he's, he's sold out now and we sold out. We were one of the last ones to sell out. Um, we had a big rush at our site because all of a sudden everybody else was sold out and he was telling people, well, you can go, go to the autoflowerstore.com, get them. So we had a big rush, uh, but we finally sold out too. And he says it's going to be a couple months, but he's got more coming. You know, we'll definitely restock it. That's been by far our most popular. So we picked up, we're, we're now selling, uh, oh yeah, great guy. We're, we're selling um, um, his uh, Pluto's Bride and Coal Miner's Daughter. Uh, the Coal Miner's Daughter, he's won some awards and stuff with that. So we've got that one up there. Um, we've got seeds from Humboldt, Humboldt Seed Company. Um, I, I love actually, their photo period stuff. I mean, yeah, two of my favorite strains are pineapple upside down cake and uh, got them blanking on the other one right now. Their, their halo jelly is definitely up there as well for me, but they've got some super yeah. killer. Yeah, this is pineapple my, upside down cake is awesome. awesome. Magic, magic melon. Nice. Yeah, honestly, they're one of the more interesting breeders out there on the market for me they have so many different unique flavors that actually really come through strong on the nose and on the palate which is exactly what a grower wants i guess right yeah absolutely yeah so we have uh, i think we have wedding cake um we've got uh that this is the magic melon we've got wedding cake we've got um i forget them we've got four strains from them right now i believe um and then um and then we have, uh, I should probably just pull it up while we're talking, right? <laughs> um, well, Spartan, but, after he takes a sip of his tea while you're looking, uh, you grew the anvil, right? Or one of those? Or maybe you just smoked some of the stuff from the greenhouse sequence grew? But, uh, yeah, sequence grew that in the greenhouse. Yep, we had the anvil. Um, the, what was it? I think it was Colmeyer's daughter. Colmeyer's daughter, Alf. Uh, Fortress or something like that. Damascus, maybe? My favorite was Anvil. Anvil. And it was like when it grew, it was it was purple, just like what Eric's talking about. And it was like a velvety. It almost looked like it was purple velvet growing. It was really, really, really something to see. But uh 
Yeah, I like that one. I don't yeah, even got, remember. I don't even vanilla remember. latte. That was the other one. We got vanilla latte from Humboldt too. Um, I found that one was interesting. That was wicked fun to grow. Um, grow versus smoke. I enjoyed the smoke. I found that <clears throat> that one got more mixed reviews because it wasn't a um, super high THC punch you in the face kind of strain. Um, it was more, much more of a, a lighter, mellow, a little more, it had uh, a little more of the giggly head high kind of, I wouldn't say an upper, but just kind of like giggly head high. And then it kind of faded after an hour or two and you were kind of like, you know, just the veil lifted and it was like no heavy, it wasn't sedative at all. You know, it was, um, I found that um, uh, some people felt that it was, it, it was too um, soft. You know, they're like, I don't feel anything. Arr! And I'm like, well, it's, I mean, it's not Gorilla Glue, you know. A lot of like sativas are uplifting or more heady stuff. Yeah, get like, that I, I hate negative connotation. That, but, yeah, but, but the but flavor, yeah, but yeah, it's like more sativa-ish if you want to. Describe. With vanilla being in the name, did it have any vanilla notes or even close? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's a it's a cross off of uh, like a wedding cake. That's why it was called vanilla latte. It was a wedding cake crossed with something else. Um, and um, um, but growing that thing, uh, yeah, it was vanilla frosting crossed with a soul mate. Um, and, uh, but I have never seen, I mean, you talk about trichomes, holy trichomes, Batman. I have never seen anything like this. And uh, I mean, the stalks, the stems, everything had trichomes. There were trichomes coming out of its ears. Like, like I've never seen this before. Like I haven't seen it in any other plant I've ever grown. Um, like if you have, if you go to the website, you look at some of the photos in there, you can see what I'm talking about. It's, um, um, the, the fan leaves that there was no such thing as fan leaves, actually. The shade leaves, they all had trichomes. Everything had everything was frosty. Um, the stems were just loaded with trichomes and the, the stalks were loaded with trichomes. It, it was just unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. It was like just massive. I took uh, photos of that thing with, um, you know, under the, you know, a loop. Um, like you know, 60x magnification stuff, and just 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 dense, 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 dense trichomes, like you wouldn't believe. It smelled fantastic. It was just, it was really so different than anything else I've grown before. Um, it was, it did not have a standard uh, kind of look to it. It was, it was, it was crazy. It was, you know, frosty as fuck. Um, a lot of fun to grow. A lot of fun to grow. Um, so. Um, I'm, I'm actually thinking now I tend to like, I'm testing these things out and, you know, the armor is a one plant system. I've got two of them going. So I've got, I'm doing two at a time and just, just rotating through different things. And I'm always doing different strains, testing new ones, seeing how they grow and all that stuff. So I don't usually uh, do the same one more than once. I'm just onto something else, onto something else and just testing. And um, because also we're running the seed bank, people are like, well, how is this one? How is that? Like we're doing now? What, what was this one? Like, what was that one? Like, so I'm just growing out all these different ones and testing stuff. And I'm testing things to decide if we want to put them in the seed bank or not, you know, hey, let me grow those out first, you know? So, um, so I'm, so I don't often go back, but this is one that I, that I really want to go back and do again, because it was just so unique to grow. It really was. And, it, and if, and everyone here hears me saying that and, and you're thinking oh yeah that's kind of like let me know because that was fun i want to grow more like that if you're just talking about trichome production uh yeah. my buddy vegan doja everything that he's a big hash breeder and everything i've had from him has been absolutely covered in resin uh, does he do autos or is it all photos he's all photos unfortunately yeah i'm looking for autos 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 I'm, I, for no other reason that that that's just as a business we we've kind of 
went all in on autos. We doubled down on autos. It's just our market and where we're going with it and everything else. We're all about autos. So I'm it seems like that's where most of the seed market is. But a lot of like the people that tune into this show or maybe on this panel, at least because their experience with photo periods and just background and past, I think all of us are predominantly photo period. I think Doc is probably the heaviest ratio of auto flower grower here, but I'm, uh, I'm curious generally, what are, what are the panel's thoughts on the direction that the seed market's moving? And do you think that auto flowers are kind of like, is, is this takeover that we're seeing real, or is it just like in a niche market of like new home growers, there's going to be lots of people coming into it and they're going to, a lot of people do push that to the newer home grower, whether that's the, um, best thing for the first timer or not. There's a massive logistical advantage to auto flowers. Yeah. I mean, that's that's very obvious. I don't feel like I have to go into a lot of detail, yeah. but being able to set it and forget it, you know, is a really very convenient thing. And then if you put all the stuff that you want into that plant, and as long as you give it what it needs, it just kind of does it. You don't have to really worry about you know, if there's one, if there's an, if there's an aspect of its growth that you don't have to worry about, like photoperiodism or something like that, or scotoperiodism, then I think, you know, that's obviously really advantageous. And a lot of plants are like that. I'm that seeing commercial growers doing it now. I'm seeing, I'm seeing exactly. more and more commercial growers doing it. In California, like, I got, I got some yeah. Mephisto's genetics, uh, three bears OG. It's, it was made in a concentrate, but that is, I looked and looked everywhere I could find. And there, I can't find any other three bears OG that's not labeled Mephisto's genetics autoflower. I don't see it described as a photo period anywhere. So like to be labeled that I'm I have a pretty high degree of confidence. But then I also know like I follow a few farmers in California and they're like, here's our autoflower patch. Here's our photo period patch. Right. You know, they they have completely embraced it. So they're like, hey, that's one less patch that we have to pull hoops over for the light deppers. So and if it goes into the market, whether they're making it to concentrate or, or selling it as flower, whatever it is. Um, it's working for a lot of people. So I think that I'm happy yeah. to see people having success with it because it offers people medicine at maybe a lower dollar amount or availability that they wouldn't have had before. And I do believe just from smoking it um, that the highs are a little bit different. There's different uh, terpenes and spectrums in there that maybe we're not seeing so much in the photo period side of things sometimes. Yeah, I, I think there's significant advantages to autos if you can get consistency and quality. Um in the commercial space, consistency is usually achieved through cloning, which is really not possible with autos. So you need to really convince commercial growers, you know, at that scale that they're going to get, you know, the same crop every time to sort of switch over to a seed based, you know, new seeds from start every run. Um, and there's going to be a lot of sort of resistance to that. I think that as quality within the autos improves and as consistency particularly consistency that's where you're going to start to see sort of a shift in the way the commercial spaces are set up but i, I definitely think there's huge advantages to autos not only um in terms of just taking out the scoto period but increasing the amount of light that you can provide to the plants throughout the 24-hour period like we were talking about before like we were you know debating whether 24 20 or 18 but with photo period plants you're on 12. And, you know, you being able to 
sort of put your equipment to work from like a, a, a commercial facilities perspective, you invest all this money in lights and you got to turn them off for 12 hours every day and you're not getting anything out of those lights for 12 hours every day. If you can, you know, improve the the operational efficiency like that, autos are, are definitely going to be a, a huge play in the future. That was the whole origin story of Mephisto's genetics. I mean, they had one grower that was convinced the photo period was better and going to yield more and be better quality and the other guy said i think autos are going to yield more and although he yielded more he thought that the photo period guy had a little bit better quality in the smoke so he's like let's breed these together so we can bring that photo period smoke quality and then the high yield into auto flowers and i think another person like we we're talking about earlier uh, formerly mandalorian uh, genome or gnome automatics he was with the auto flower network from the very beginning i think he literally like helped code it from we're talking like 2010, maybe a little earlier, like over a decade, that's 12 years ago now, he's been working his ass off and I watch him work. <laughs> he's in our chat on our DMs. He has his bed set up and he busts his ass. It's like run after run after run. And he's not just growing autos, he's got food out there. Like he's a hard ass worker and he's doing multiple generations per year. So like to see how much it's progressed over the last 12 years is really, truly amazing. And uh, I think he deserves all the praise that he's getting. And uh, another cool one that I've seen is, I think it's Damascus, like a type of steel that's like like forged. Um, I think that's one of his new strains too. And it's looking beautiful and all the photos I've been seeing. So big, big ups to him and all the people that are putting in good work with autoflowers. I see Major General 420 Army always loves to hate on them, says that they're filler material or just avoid autos, say no to autos. But I think that more and more people are going to find that they can get some good quality smoke. Yeah, I think it's... We've been saying that we think it's the wave of the future. And what it really is, it's about what's going on. And I'm not talking about your entry level or basic or F1s or someone. I just took some pollen from this and crossed it with that. And, oh, look, I got a new, now I've got like super Wookiee Irish cream. You know, I'm talking about people like, like, uh, like Dan, you know, full duplex, who's um, uh, actually out there, you know, Mephisto people who, who are Humboldt seeds is doing it. Another one's Atlas seeds, Atlas seeds. That's really, really good stuff. I did their, I grew out their gummy bears. I'm blown away. And I'm like, we're going to be carrying Atlas seeds at our store before long. Um, I love the gummy bears. And actually I'll, I'll tell you, that's a, that's a good, um, indicator too, is when you're growing, I'm growing out different plants all the time. If I, if I go in my closet, I probably got like eight different strains back there right now, you know, jars of all different things. And I've got two more going and I've always got all this variety. I'm smoking the gummy bears. That's what I'm going back to. When, when Eric packs a bowl at night and sits down and smoke, I'm smoking the gummy bears from Atlas. They're auto gummy bears auto from, from Atlas. Um, it's phenomenal. So that's a good sign too. When you, when you look at this stuff, say, all right, we got to put that in the seed bank because I just, that's my, I just keep going back to it, going back to it. I'm going back to it because I am out of the black strap now. So I will tell you, I loved the black strap, but I'm out now. <laughs> What's um, the uh, gummy bears? Is it the, the taste? Is it the high or the medical effect? Like, what is it about it that appeals um, to you? So it's, um, of course it's smooth, but, uh, but it's uh, the taste, it tastes great. And, um, and for me, it just, yeah, that's one that like punches me in the face. And that, and for me, that's, that is something that I do like, um, it, it's not about, I don't even care about THC, you know, it can be the whole terpene profile, but I like something that, um, I am a, um, I'm a night smoker. I'm a midnight toker. Right. Um, I started smoking eons and years ago because of insomnia. That's what got me. That was my, my journey with cannabis. It was because of insomnia. Um, so I don't smoke during the day. I'm just, I'm working my ass off. I'm moving and grooving and doing my things. I'm sharp and focused and doing my stuff all day long. 
and then it's go, 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 go. But I have issues with insomnia naturally anyway. And of course, and then I also have the entrepreneurial problem of I can't shut my brain off. It's like always one more thing to do. Oh, should I forget about this? Forget about that. So when I, when I hit like about nine o'clock at night, I just want to sit on a couch, pack a bowl and forget about everything. Just shut off the brain and nights, you know, nights, night lights out. So um, I like the gummy bears. It's a, it's a good lights out. It's a nice, I get a great night's sleep. I wake up fresh and, you know, refreshed and good to go in the morning. I can say that about uh, uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle Breeder. Um, uh, his um, frosted sugar cookies is really good too. Really, really good. And it, I'd put it in that same kind of category. That was a really nice, uh, that's a nice lights out for me too. So I'm, I'm, I'm into, I'm a heavy indica strain kind of guy. It's nice when you like know what you're looking for and you have that like time of day. Um, I, I have a family member who, that's exactly why they use cannabis. And I think that it's personally probably the safest insomnia medication out there. One of the most effective, if you can find a good strain, that's one of the many things that I use cannabis for as well. So uh, I'm a big advocate that, you know, why not use the safer medication? I, I got to it. Yeah. And, and I got to it. My personal journey was that uh, I started, I just went to my doctor. I'm like, I, I've got insomnia. I got issues. I can't sleep. I'm exhausted all the time. And I'm like, I, I can't sleep. And I toss and turn all night and what, it's a thing, you know? And, and, um, and we went through, you know, all the, just, you know, I, there's nothing I could do. It wasn't like a behavioral or like, cause I'm drinking 17 cups of coffee right before bed or something stupid like that. Nothing I could change. It was the behavioral issues or whatever. Um, and, uh, so then we went down this path of pharmaceuticals. Like I, I, I forget which one I did first, but I've done Ambien. I've done Lunesta. I've done, I've done the, the pharmaceutical stuff. And I couldn't do any of it. The, the side effects were awful. And it did not agree with me. And I'm like, I can't do this. I, I can't take these. I'm like, I would, I would rather just suffer and not able to sleep. Um, than to, and I went off the med. So he's all right, we'll try this one. And that one didn't work. Try this one. That one didn't work. But I'm like, screw it. I'll suffer because I can't do that pharmaceutical stuff. It's, it's terrible. Side effects were awful. And, um, and it just so happened that as I was going through all that and just decided to you know, resign myself to suffering in silence, um, we had a, well, it was summertime. We had like a 4th of July pool party at my house and late at night as people were filtering around and the last few people were there. One of, one of my buddies who's a stoner was like passing a joint around Hey, You want some? And I'm like, I didn't smoke. And I'm like, Oh no, I'm good. He's like, Oh, but that should have, we had talked about my insomnia. He goes, Oh, that should have put you out. And I was like, really? Fuck it. All right. Give me that. You know? So and I, I had no tolerance, right? It's so funny. I had no, I, I wasn't a smoker. So I, and there was probably only about five or six people left. This was pushing, you know, midnight, one in the morning. Everyone, most people had left, you know, whatever. The last few friends, just stragglers hanging out. And all I remember is, is like waking up at like four in the morning out on the back deck, you know, like, like sitting there in a chair drooling on myself. Like, whoa, what time is it? Well, like, holy shit. I've been out for the last four hours. So I'm like, so the next day I was like, hey, that was good. Can I get more of that? And that's when I started smoking. He's like, yeah, sure. Here, you hooked me up. And. And uh, I started, I get a little dugout in a one hitter and I just started one hit at night and I was, it was lights out. That was it. It's definitely a great medicine for that exact reasoning. And I was just reading some of the comments. People are still talking about the autoflowers boom up in Canada saying it just doesn't match the stoniness and maybe, maybe not, maybe not yet. And I think, it, I think actually that's just a matter of the genetics. I think you, or they're growing. Like he's growing them in a greenhouse in Canada. It probably doesn't have the same lighting that you'd get in Southern California or Northern California or a lot of places in the U S that you're going to get much more and, and better light and better weather and not going to have to have your season get cut off so soon. So there's probably a lot that goes into it. Uh, genetics, 
the weather and how the plants are treated are you supplementing light um things like that and i see his plants are huge and he's i, I respect boom's opinion he's a hash maker long time grower and i think a lot of the people that use heavy 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 amounts all day every day are probably going to still reach for the photo period just currently that's why i'm still growing exclusively photo period i haven't tried nato yet i would say like I'm 50, 50, like the samples that I've been given by growers that really kill it, like 50% of them, they're not as good as some of the photo period stuff, but then 50% are as good or better. They're unique. They offer something awesome. Um, and I've told the story a million times, but the Humboldt seed organization, uh, which is different than Humboldt seed company, but my buddy, he sent me or gave me, uh, the Bubba Kush auto and their OG Kush auto. And I'm a Bubba Kush knob. I'm an OG Kush knob. I live out here on the West coast. Those are two of my favorite strains. I've been smoking them for over a decade. So I know what Bubba and OG are supposed to bring to the table and his shit, his auto flower was better than nine out of the 10 OGs and nine out of the 10 Bubba's because he just grew it better. He took attention to detail. He trimmed it better. He cured it better. He, every single step of the process was better than most of the commercial or even the good homegrown quality OGs. His shit stacked up. And that showed me that at least in that, for me, and that this is the other thing, it's so like he would, Eric was talking about his gummy bears and his need for insomnia. Everybody's different. So like gummy bears might, uh, maybe somebody's not looking to go to sleep. Maybe somebody needs an energetic strain or whatever it is, or, or maybe the gummy bears will just hit somebody differently. So it's like, everybody's got their own endocannabinoid system. I heard it once described uh, by a young man as like, everybody's road has different potholes and, you know, each strain or each uh, whatever blend is going to fill in different potholes on, on your road. So everybody's got a different sort of need for cannabis. Some people, they just want to have fun and relax. Some people really truly need it for pain or arthritis or cancer or whatever it is. So it's just, it all comes down to at the end of the, end of the day, what's affordable, what's available and what are you interested in? Some people don't care to even think this much about it. They just want what's the cheapest, what's the most potent. And they're not going to go through the process of growing or researching it. So but uh, for the people that do, I, I think that's a valid, valid discussion. I, I respect everybody's opinion and uh, Boom and, and Major, they've grown a lot of both autos and photos. So I definitely respect your opinion and everybody in the chat who's uh, going back and forth. Yeah, I think, I think that the, uh, our, our personal, our opinion here is that um, I think that autos are the future. It's a matter of they need to catch up. The technology, the, you know, the breeding, the, the, the more we're learning, um, getting the stable genetics. A lot of people right now are working on, it's changing so fast that a lot of people are still working off of information that's three to five years old. And if it's even just three years old, it's ancient and it's out of date, you know? Um, people are, but I'm, I'm seeing commercial grows now. I'm talking to a farmer in uh, Massachusetts here who has, you know, th this part of the field is photos and that part of the field is autos. And you know, they're, they're, uh, they're still in, you know, growing out their, their photos, but they've already pulled the, the autos and they're ready to flip another batch, you know, so they get a faster turn. <clears throat> they can grow, they can grow more. Um, you know, there's, it, it can also help mitigate expenses too. Like if you, if you have a problem, you know, whether it's pests or whatever, uh, an interesting thing, and actually I'll, uh, this would be a good one for the panel to see if anyone knows about this. Um, uh, she said that um, that in her field, her photos 
were getting destroyed by bugs, but the autos were not touched and didn't know if it was something in the genetics or if it was just just location. It could be genetic. Like Breeder Steve's talked about, he says in his block, he has hectares in uh, Colombia. He's growing literally thousands of different genetics. People send him 100 seeds at a time for the million seed search. So I'd say he has a pretty good opinion on this matter. And he said, in his opinion, the, the sweeter ones and to his nose are often sometimes sweeter to the birds or the pests or the bugs. They're attracted to that too. So if it's stinkier, smellier, more terpenes, sometimes that actually attracts them to it. A lot of these terpenes are repellents of certain bugs, but they could attract different bugs. So it's mm. a double-edged sword and it depends on where you're at. But sometimes like maybe that would indicate the photo that was being attacked by the bugs would technically be like a better tasting or, or more potent in some degree. But that's just me spitballing. Think, Matthew? I'm about to uh, burn a, a bong rip of some auto flour that uh, one of the listeners gifted to me over uh, this weekend. Uh, shout out to uh, Marcus Greenthumb. And he grew out uh, seeds from uh, Gnome Genetics, I'm pretty sure. I forget exactly which strain it is. But it is so purple. It is the most unique-looking uh, weed that I, I come across as far as looks go. It's unbelievable, the color of it. It's just bizarre, like, like kind of what Spartan was saying. Yeah, yeah. It's probably, it's it's probably like the black strap, or I think Coal Miner's Daughter is purple as well. Um, but, but like the black strap comes from Anvil as derived from that and that's definitely a, a, a purple one and and really really unique looking uh, but i'm sure you I mean, if you haven't hit it yet uh let us know what you think but i, th- I think you're gonna find that you're gonna like it <laughs> gonna matthew like i'm it. curious your thought on uh, eric's question there about the plants the photo period being attacked by pests but the autoflower not being attacked yeah i mean like um like was said already it could be genetic it could be you know just sort of placement um you know, I have questions like this. I, it's a very common question that I get. Like, I changed one variable or maybe multiple variables about what I do. Um, you know, and then this season, something happened, it's different. And it's like, uh, you know, it's the age old, like you didn't really control the variables. So it's really hard to tell. It's hard, right. really hard to know. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, though. I think that, um, well, I mean, with, with the amount of breeding that people have done, honestly, it's kind of hard to speculate if I'm being intellectually honest, but I think that um, there could be traits that autoflowers have that might make them resistant, either just because of the lineages um, and their pedigree, you know, being a little bit different yeah. or just- well, I was wondering specifically if it was, you know, just a correlation or a causation, sort of a classic situation there. Like it could make sense to me that, you know, some pests would attack one group of plants over another group of plants because there was something different about those plants. And if you're growing some autos and some photos, then, you know, there may just be a correlation there in like what Jack's saying, like there's a better smelling or something to the bugs and they go over there. It has nothing to do with them being autos or photos per se. It just that's you know happens to correlate with whatever they were interested in um as opposed to truly cause right like autos are more resistant to bugs than photos would be or whatever i was gonna one of the things i was gonna say is the difference is the photos um if the photos are grown in a traditional way from uh, mother plants and clones clones don't have the same immune system as seed the autos will guarantee you the autos are grown from seed so I wonder if that's a difference, clones versus seeds. That's actually a good point. I was also going to say that um, one thing we don't like to talk about a lot, or I guess that doesn't come up a lot, is that um, 
you know, these, these, uh, these insects, they like your plants too. Like they like the aroma, aromatic compounds and things like that. Sometimes they're defense compounds. Yes, that is true, but not to everything. And uh, certainly things that are attractive to us can also be attractive to the plants too. Um, so, so who knows, it's possible that you might get like a, a sort of a, um, a bouquet of sort of aromas that are going to repel or, or disincentivize some of the bugs. And then maybe some of the bugs just didn't happen to be in your area. Like it could be as simple yeah, as that. Sometimes. It could be several and, things. Sure. Or yeah, yeah, the auto flower patch was on that side of the field that had the bugs where the photos were over on a different side of the field that was like more wet or more dry and is just physically yeah, but, separated. But I will say timing so is an many. interesting point to bring up too. Also, I, I don't know mm -hmm. how true it is in this particular setting, but like, um, you know, being able to plan when your first harvest is or when you're starting to plant uh, plays a huge role in um, sort of not dealing with certain pests that you would in certain locations, certainly in many other crops. I yeah. imagine this is also true in cannabis. That's, Certainly. That's got a great idea. Yeah, great point. You could be harvesting when the, you have a big pest before pressure. The, before the caterpillars show there. up. Yeah, right, I was right, right. Especially that. caterpillars. That's autos, what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Autos can smell, or the, hopefully, when the, like I haven't grown many, but if it says it's like um, a lemon haze auto, that should smell like lemon haze photo period. So I'm assuming that autos can have a varied scent and be identical to the you know photo period so for a while a lot of them had a varied cherry, like yeah. a hemp almost but now you're right they, they do have a huge variation i wanted to say one thing about the use of space sequence uh, shout out to michigan bros bro show they're going to be on about 27 minutes from now but it, their greenhouse he interplanted autos so they were basically imagine your walkway between your photo period plants he planted a bunch of auto flowers in like i believe it was like two or three walkways and those grew up and flowered finished got harvested and then the photo periods on the sides kind of grew over that space and flowered and finished afterwards. So he essentially got two crops and just really maximized the greenhouse space by implementing a few rows worth of autos. It wasn't like he needed to do the whole crop as autos, but it just got him an earlier crop in and an additional crop that he wouldn't have had otherwise. And it timed out perfect because when he harvested those autos and <clears throat> opened up the aisles and so the photos yeah. could fill in the aisles again and fill back in. So it worked out, worked out pretty cool. Yeah, autos, I feel, are just a tool, right? So everybody likes to compare things and get in the camps. That's what we do as humans, right? Us versus them. No, it's just, it's every, there's a spot for everything. It's just another tool. You can use it in situations just like what you're talking about, Jack, or indoors. If you have veg space that, you know, you, you can see light hitting the ground, put a fucking auto flower there, man. Get some weed out of that spot. <laughs> but yeah, there's another thing. I mean, it's difficult to say what that could have been. I, I totally believe that the pest pressure didn't happen to the autos, but it, there's so many variables you could never, it could be like, like the same thing we we're talking about with sense repelling things, sense also attract things and they could attract a predator maybe that came in and then wiped out the prey when it showed up. So there's so many of these weird interconnected plays, especially outside. Oh my God. It's so, so many factors. It's like, good luck guessing what the hell that was. It is near almost next to impossible unless you literally like take the time to do an evaluation and break it down. It's the nature of cycle and uh, it, it comes to a balance. Like if you just let the pest 
go unchecked, yeah, they'll kill off a bunch of plants, but oftentimes they'll then attract a predator for whatever that pest is. And sometimes people are like, I'm just going to let nature balance it out, which I don't always think is the best idea, depending on the best in your area and how well uh, your predators will be able to protect you. I wanted to also say in uh, Green 13's case over in the UK, he was saying like a balcony grow, you just cannot grow a photo period where he was at or where he was at for at least a while. They would never be able to finish because they get so much rain and poor weather. So to get an outdoor crop in at all, it just offers, like Spartan said, it's a similar tool in the tool belt. And we're all growers. Why would we deny ourselves I guess the option of having something, even if like right now I don't grow them, but I have some gifted to me, Mephisto's genetics seeds, like a bunch of individuals that somebody gave to me a while back. And when I'm feeling up to it, I'll definitely pop them and grow them. Um, I'm curious to see how they do. I just, uh, I've got so many other things on the docket for my little 10 year plan of seeds that I bought that they haven't made it into the list yet, but I know in my lifetime, I'm definitely going to, so. With that said, I think we've definitely talked a lot about autoflowers, and I'm curious if uh, anybody else has, uh, maybe we could go a little bit into the photo period side of things and do a little uh, garden update or check-in, and uh, Spartan Growing, how are things going? Because I know you've only got about 10 minutes before you get going out of here. Yeah, uh, I'm just going good. I'm busy in my garden, man. I've got uh, two brand new lights, basically, from uh, GML. I've got the big Vulcan board light in there now, which is amazing. I didn't think I'd be able to run it with my height, but... I'm running at 100%, and it's taking it. At least the uh, cobra milk that's under right now is taking it. And then the, uh, I have the, uh, what's the other one called? The long legs? Yeah, the long legs. I have that one turned down to 90%. And I got a couple of plants underneath that. Let me think. I've got the Donnie Burger underneath that one, which is a mainstay. That one's a good one. <laughs> and the, uh, what, oh, uh, Brandon, one of Brandon's, the F1s of the limelight. I've got, I found some older C's, the F1s. So I'm getting into the F1s of his limelights. And then uh, in my uh, breeding tent, I'm excited because I've got uh, the four vortex going and I, it's already flipped the flower. I flipped them on, I think it was the 18th, 17th or 18th. And the males are just there's, I've, I've already got the favorite male picked out and I already got my favorite female picked out, but uh, I'm pretty happy with all of them, honestly. And uh, the males, it's just surprising how much more they stretch than the females. Like they, they seem like they're a week or two ahead of the females on, on all the way up, almost their whole, their whole time growing. So trying to get those up and over, you know, got to get those balls out on top of those pistols to start dropping that pollen down. Oh, and so. it was so satisfying. So before I went to flower, I did this huge leaf strip because I'm in a tent and I'm worried about airflow. I don't have the greatest setup. I'll be the first to admit, I just threw a fucking tent up and did, you know, some pass air through ventilation. In fact, I need to put a carbon filter or something to filter out pollen because it's going to start dropping pollen anytime. Anyhow, I'm just winging it. And uh, <laughs> Barton seeds his whole room with vortex yeah, and doesn't I don't, get upset. As I say, I don't think I would even care. I think I would be completely fine with that. So, but so, so yeah, so I'm, I'm stoked about that because I got the two males and the two females in there. So that should hopefully yield a decent amount of seeds to play around with. I'm just trying to make that seed pack bigger. Vortex crossed to Spartan's mm -hmm. entire clone catalog coming soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so much work just to think about that. What, what are you running? If it, in the shit okay. hits the fan the scenario, yeah, this does pollinate your entire. I've only got three plants in flowering that would even be able to accept it right now that are far enough along. And it's those three. So it'd be the Brandon's F1 Limelight. It would be um, Donnie Burger. And it would be Cobra Milk. And I like all of them a lot. 
Donnie Burger well. Vortex is like the craziest combination I could think of right now. Just hearing because yeah. I know both those strains very well. Like I yeah. just got to my last two nugs of my last Donnie Burger harvest, and uh, Vortex is so different. It's such a different yeah. high, such a different flavor. Everything about it, like it's a way different plant. Well, so me and Biggs have kind one. of like the me and Biggs Pong kind of have this deal. Like we're gonna we're trying to preserve anything TGA. So he's got a decent collection. I've got a pretty decent collection. So we're going to, anything, time we get mails, we're going to offer it to the other person so that if we want to smash it to, it'll be a TGA times TGA thing. You know what I mean? Keep it, keep it in the family. We'll say, <laughs> but we're doing uh, that with me and Zion lion NorCal. He's uh, hooked oh, yeah. me up with some Jack the Ripper. He's got some F2s coming my way, but he did a uh, Jack the Ripper cross to like a pineapple fields and Jack the Ripper cross to zest OG. And uh, I'm going to send him some of my stuff when I start getting back into the TGA side of things too. So oh, definitely nice. shout out to Subpool. Got to keep his legacy alive. RIP. Well, you didn't hear I, this from I me. I have like we uh, possibly have a couple cuts of Chernobyl, both male and female. I hey. have a bunch of uh, <laughs> TGA seeds from like 2006 to 2008. We got to get uh, a they tissue need, culturist they need to get, on the they need to get, uh, they need to get uh, embryo rescued. Oh. Cause they, cause I tried popping some of them and, th- and that's what, that's what we need pop. guys. Who's our, who's our tissue culture expert. We need to, t- we need to start recruiting. And, and it was my goal last year to, to make learn somebody. I, I tried so to learn last year. You can do it cheap. Guy. Raptor the grow is the guy. Raptor. He, he He's the guy to do it for like 50 bucks. We'll have to invite him back. Come and, on Raptor. Uh, Raptor. You need to, you want to be a panel member on our show and talk about tissue culture every week. Come on on bro. This week's tissue culture update. Raptor grow. <laughs> It's a valuable lesson. I mean, uh, check out his fucking talking shit with Eagle. I'm wrapping the uh, shirt right now. Shout out to Eagle Gardens. But uh, they, he did an episode with Raptor Grow where he broke down how to basically for about $50, make your own tissue culture kit with a little like container where you could put your hands in like a gloved box and have like a sterile setup where if you just go into a bathroom, he recommends because it's easiest to sterilize in your house, uh, cut off all the airflow. Because if you're not going to do this with like a ventilated hood, which makes it infinitely more expensive, but a lot more successful. Um just giving a quick breakdown on kind of the rundown of it. But yeah, it's a really cool option that's out there and it's worth, I'm trying to tease it because if you want to go watch that episode, it might be like a couple hours long and you might have to click through to find the tissue culture segment. But I think it's a valuable skill. And as we talked about like hop weight and viroid and every other issue last week, and that being one of the potential cures and also being able to pop old seeds, it's like the benefits might be endless. So it's, it's something we definitely all have to learn more about. Yeah, Raptor did a more recent episode, I think, on Let's Be Buds or Caribou or TV, too, talking about all things tissue culture. Yeah. Thank you for that, because it's always good to be able to, you know, see the updates, because I'm sure he's learned more. He's a young man. He seems like very astute. uh, Yeah, he actually had a whole presentation. Like, it was a PowerPoint and everything that went with it. So he was really in-depth. He broke that out on Eagle, too. He had a PowerPoint part. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, uh, giving you all the materials, all the setup, and I appreciate that. I mean, it's educated. This this whole point of this this space is for us to educate people, and I think that it'd be cool to do maybe more of that if we could put together like presentation slides and people want to bring Matthew in the past has brought up like uh, studies, for example. He'll share a screen, talk about it, and then it creates a discussion where we're able to better inform ourselves and the audience. And I think that's a great thing for this community. So. Um, I would like to do that more regularly, not only myself, but also us, you know, we have people that we know who could talk about this because nobody's going to be an expert in everything, of course. So definitely, definitely agree with that. Yeah. And and embryo culture is a little different than tissue culture, but I know I, because I, you know, I watched YouTube, I don't do any of it, but I watched stuff and there's actually seeds that will not germinate 
unless they're assisted by humans that they have to do stuff to them like under a microscope so yeah it's really interesting stuff you can literally like crack them open and pull out the germplasm and like start working with the genetic material up inside there so yeah it is fascinating and also shout out to like caper purple seeds or casper purple on instagram they had a thing featured in ed rosenthal's either book or magazine where they're doing test tube popping where they actually use cocoa coir and like the bottom and uh, they sterilize everything because test tubes are meant to be sterilized and it's a simple enough process. <coughs> but they were showing very, very extremely high uh, success rates with like older seeds and, and vulnerable seeds with, you know, uh, getting germination that on that. So anything that can help preserve some of the old genetics. I just love that stuff. It makes me happy just to hear it. And with that said, Spartan, it's about that time uh, for you to let the dogs out, refill your tray and get some water before the Michigan Bros. Bro Show. Any final thoughts and shout outs before you get going? Yeah, I've got Actually, it's a little somber shout out here. In the state of Michigan, we had a, a really, really um, popular and smart woman. Her name was Zara Abbas, and she was too long to list all of the different committees in, that she was on and everything, but she was on the Cannabis Caucus, for example, up at the state level, and she advocated for cannabis and safe access and all of the things that we stand for, of course, and uh from what I hear, it wasn't an official source, but it was a source I trust that she passed in her sleep, which is, I guess, good news in, in that. But um, it's a huge loss here in Michigan and the advocacy side of things. So um, uh, just a huge shout out to her family and uh, everyone who, who worked with her. And uh, but uh, the fight continues, you know, so uh, <laughs> that sucks. I don't like finishing on, on, on that kind of note, but uh you know, my heart goes out to their family. Uh, growers loved everyone on the panel, everyone that's uh, watching. And uh, we'll see you guys in about 15 minutes. I'll be on the Michigan Bros. Grow Show. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you guys next week. You're doing a great job keeping the carry, carrying that torch, not only you, but a lot of the people over in Michigan. Uh, I got to shout out Medical Mondays coming on tomorrow night. And also check out uh, the Late Sesh with Spartan Grown as well. He's all over the place. But there are so many good people in Michigan and all over this country that are advocating and fighting for cannabis. And uh, just because we lost one amazing cannabis warrior, uh, that just should spark that fire under, you know, 10 more people to get out there and fight for our rights and keep advocating and keep her legacy alive and uh, keep, you know, making sure that our rights don't get squandered and, and squashed and shut down. Cheers to that, Spartan. You're, you're doing a good job on that end yourself, Spartan. Grow up. Thanks, guys. Peace out, Spartan. See you guys. Peace, Spartan. Thank you always for coming. Great to see you. Go Spartans. <laughs> they're good, good team football and basketball but i know not too many sports folks around here unfortunately as much as uh, the few of us who might like it it would deter a lot of our audience but we got about 15 minutes left and i'm curious i want to do some check-ins with uh, the american one how are things going in your garden what uh, strains you got going on any harvest coming up or anything come down recently uh not too much i got i i shut down the one area because it's just too hot and i got um I still have a whole bunch of veg and I narrowed down my chocolate tie. I still have like four or five females, but I'm just going to flower out most of them. And the one I'm going to use to breed with, I'm still not overjoyed uh, at all of my options there, but uh, pretty much that's where I'm at. And uh, yeah, nothing new. I have, I actually, I did start seeds cause I, did like a germ test and i'm gonna grow that the seeds that ended up they all popped so instead of just ditching them 
I have some of the time right by blueberry that are in solo cups. And then uh, I found a cache of Amy Ace's beans from an earlier breed. And I popped, I just did a germ test on those to make sure. And uh, so, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Nice, man. Always cool to see. I'm going to spotlight Brandon. He's showing off his home grow, I think, right here. Brandon, you Excellent. are muted, but I want to uh, let the people see what you're working with. Looks like we got five plants and a humidifier over there. I think your ultrasonic one you're talking about. Yep. So I just have this little $10 rechargeable fan that's just right there. Oh, my humidifier just turned on. See? It's like I know that that tent door is open. My RH is dropping. I need to start going to work. Yeah, and then the uh, see, I have hooked up to that little thing right there. It's just a it turn it you know it turns on this this fan to blow air into the tent if it gets too hot. Um, and then this thing kicks on right here, which is actually it needs to be moved. And I got my my sensor or whatever, but yeah, I just put a couple of plants in here. They're just starting to grow. I did they were clones. So I just put them in here a couple of days ago. What are they? And then I have my like black lime yeah, reserve. Yeah, yeah. Tell us what they are. Yeah, my, what my mail right there too. Limerillas and black lime reserve. Nice. That, that's a great combination. Yeah. Right yeah. I'm sorry. I cut you off. Did you say Vivo Sun LED? The Vivo Sun. Yeah. Same as the little fan or whatever that is. I use their fan intent as well. I mean, it gets the job done. I'd be Pretty curious. Easy. It's efficiency, but for veg, it's, it's not as uh, important. I don't think. To be like the maximum. Yeah, little home grow. Just uh, you know, growing some limerilla for myself. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, a lot of people out here. I mean, in the earlier part of the show, people were saying like, "Oh, I think of a home grower as less than ten plants," and that falls under that. My current um, had two plants for what I was harvesting, just grown in a sip container. And incredibly happy with it. I uh, just harvested some F3 Velvet Punch. And it's finally at the point in the cure where I'm really, really extremely happy. Like, I'm ready to give samples out to my friends and locals. Uh, because it's at that point where I'm like, damn, this is really good shit. Um, I have a little electric grinder that you push down on the top. It's called a Wacket. And it has these little metal beads that spin around. And um, it normally, it's pretty strong. So, I mean, you just like tap it once or twice and it busts up the buds pretty good. And if you want to grind it more fine, you could hold it down for a longer time. But the Velvet Punch, it actually like wrapped around the beads and it was like stuck to it. And it just completely like clogged up the grinder. And it was the first strain to have done that. So I was pretty impressed by the uh, resin production and stickiness of it. And uh, it's definitely, it's funny because uh, the American one and I have uh, had samples exchanged and I got to try his Velvet Punch F2. And I wrote a little uh, review for him just to kind of give feedback on like the potency, bag appeal, smell, things like that. I like to, instead of just like accepting somebody's sample, I like to, you know, give them a little bit of feedback on, because some people are like, I don't know how it smells or I can't describe the smell. So maybe I'll give them a little bit more uh, input on that. Well, in my notes, it's like saved way back. Like this is over a year ago, I think at this point. And then as I was describing the F3, I was taking notes for myself just to um, write for my testers when I go to send out the F3 seeds. And I cross compared them afterwards, like with having forgotten that I had reviewed his F2 and they're actually pretty similar, like, like seven out of 10 of the smell and taste description, or maybe eight out of 10 are like the exact same words that I use. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I thought that they were more different than that, that 
F3 maybe had something unique, but it's carrying flavors that were still there in F2 that maybe I just wasn't consciously aware of. So it's good to write things down, people, because if you're like myself, we're uh, apt to forget things with uh, good medicine. So with that said, uh, I guess I'll pass it to Matthew and see if you've got any updates before we close things down. Yes, I do, actually. Um, I recently posted on it on my Instagram account, uh, SyncAngel, S-Y-N-C-H-A-N-G-E-L. Uh, I'm prepping for the Curious About Cannabis presentation that's coming up on the 18th of August. The presentation is called Major Cannabis Pests of 2022, Summer Review of Commercial and Private Encounters. And um, I've chosen for a 45 minute segment of time, I'll be talking about um, pests that were very popular in commercial settings that I encountered and also those that were interesting for home growers who would send me copious amounts of pictures and footage and, and other sorts of things like that. Because, um, you know, of course, there's going to be some discrepancy there in what you should worry about at either of those levels. But I think it's helpful to kind of get that um, sort of galaxy appreciation. So I've, I've chosen the biggest and baddest ones based on lethality, but also commonality is the budworms, the two-spotted spider mite, rice root aphid, uh, various thrips, and the hoplite and viroid. Of course, I'll be talking about that too. And um, yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited to talk about that. I'm writing another chapter for a book on um, uh, organic cultivation of plants, and I'll be coming out. That's with my buddy Awasti, who I have um, co-collaborated on a number of times. I think this will be the third or fourth time at that point. And I also have a Skunk Magazine article coming out um, that is actually focusing particularly on budworms because... They were a really, like I said in the presentation, they were a really huge problem for a lot of people. Also a huge problem for people uh, last year too. Um, so summertime and like the end of summer, not only is that time when they tend to get to be really bad, it's also a time when you can kind of reflect on the situation if you haven't gotten rid of them and kind of think about what you're going to do for them in the future uh, if you're so unfortunate enough to befall them. So that's what I'm working on mainly. It's a lot of stuff, but it's good to be busy. And I'm happy to see that you're cranking out the content because it's really important for people to be aware. And, uh, you know, like I talked about earlier, having those tools in the tool belt um, so that you know when something like this comes around that there are options out there. And uh, I can't recommend highly enough the Xenthanol, YouTube, and Sync Angel, uh, both Twitter and Instagram pages. Um, I've been a big fan even before I even knew Matthew at all. So uh, definitely check his stuff out. And last and certainly not least, uh, Dr. MJ. I know that for a while you kind of shut things down because of the heat of the summer. I'm not sure if you started things back up yet, but uh, I'm just curious to get an update from you before we uh, do our final thoughts and shout outs. Not quite yet, but I am getting geared up to, to start my next grow. It'll be part of the, the plant training grow challenge, which is sort of starting now. Our flip day for that is October 1st. So probably by the end of the month i'm gonna start my by the end of august that is um i'll start my plans for that i haven't totally figured this out i was supposed to build a grow room but i think that project is getting delayed at least until like december so i'm gonna have to set my tent up somewhere and um hey last time i had it set up in in what was gonna become the guest room and has since become the guest room and now we're going to have guests coming. So like, I can't put my grow tent back into that room 
um which makes me kind of sad I think I'm gonna have to put it in my office again but I'm still figuring that out and excited to sort of get growing and um it's been a while I harvested my last crop in April so you know it's been several months of of plantlessness um but everybody should come and join if you're starting to grow now if you can flip around August, uh, October 1st um sign up to grow with us in the PTGC it's gonna be a lot of fun and um we're about to publish that forum and people will start making their journals but you know when you start exactly it's up to you because we try to coordinate the flip day good stuff and um i guess this will be your final shout out i don't know if you let the people know where they can find you but uh or if you have anything else going on yeah uh, sure well yeah we do actually have something else we just did the grower love giveaway like right before this show started that was for two ks 3000s the viper spectralites this month um and we have winners dream it and andrew um won those two prizes and we're going to announce the next grower love giveaway tomorrow so on august 1st um so go back and and check that out um we have a cool prize for next month so be sure to get involved in that and um yeah you know get ready for the ptgc um thanks for coming in and watching the show um check out my youtube channel dr mj coco um check us out at cocoforcannabis.com um where we're doing the challenges we've got a live chat room we've got you know a growers forum a bunch of articles on how to grow and um a, a really helpful community many of whom are here supporting our show as well so grower love to all of you um to the the panelists um nice to see you again eric and um you know grower love to the chat you guys keep our show interesting so that's it. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, next up, our I don't want to call you a guest because you're one of the originals. You've been around probably as long as anybody else. But Eric, it's always great to have you back and you're always welcome. I'm happy that the time slot lined up, uh, even though it hasn't for a little while. It's great having you and uh, just uh, final thoughts and shout outs, I guess, where the people can find you. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was great to uh, to, to pop in and see everybody. Um, uh, yeah, I had uh, actually started this uh, back day one uh, with Shane. Uh, Shane's my buddy. We play hockey together. Um, and um, but uh, so I was on regularly, I think, for the first year or so. But um, yeah, so it was, it was nice to get back and see everybody. Um, you know, our thing is uh, supporting home grow with uh, for small um, single plant or double plant systems. Um, you know, the armoire is designed to look like furniture in your home, be discreet for people who don't have space for a tent, that sort of thing. Um, and keep it simple. Uh, we're trying to uh, make this available so that everybody can grow at home, even if they don't know how to, this is a good on-ramp. Um, 95% of our customers have never grown before. Um, so, um, check us out www.greengoddesssupply.com. And then you can also check out the autoflowerstore.com for seeds for autoflower specific seeds. Um, and it was great to see y'all. And that's the autoflowerstore.com. The all spelled out the autoflowerstore.com, including the. Perfect. I wasn't typing the earlier and that's what was getting me. So there you go. Good to know. And thank you so much again for joining us. And next up, Matthew Gates. Yeah, I, I did enjoy the line of questions. I'm glad to see Eric here as well. Um, it's uh, very nostalgic, to be honest, and I'm excited for our, all of our mutual success, to be honest. Um, I've seen everyone on the panel grow quite a bit, even people who are not necessarily regulars on the panel anymore. Um, 
and uh, reflecting, like I was saying earlier on the past, I also reflect on the year and of the progress that we've gone on and done um, together. And I'm, I'm motivated by that. I'm, I'm very excited. So if you can find my information, if you're, for one, looking for professional help, you can find me at xenthanol.com. You can also contact me, which many people do on social media as well on Twitter, which is at SyncAngel, S-Y-N-C-H and A-N-G-E-L. You can also find me on Instagram with the same handle. And that'll be it, I think. Thank you very much. And next up, Brandon. What's going on? Um, yeah, good, good to be back. Uh, it's been a little bit. Find me on Instagram at rust.brandon and at Bokashi Earthworks, just like my logo right there. Um, and then I also do have a backup account, which is just Rust Brandon. Um, there is a lot of scammers out there, so be careful. Um, and yeah, I've got a lot of cool stuff going on out here in Oklahoma. Uh, we have a new facility that's coming online. Uh, Bokashi Earthworks is growing exponentially every month. So that's great. And uh, I hopefully the bank will give me a pre-approval. I already got a pre-approval, but I need the bank to give me a pre-approval so I can buy this property with a church on it. It can be rad. And if not, I'll just have to get something different. But yeah, I'll be buying a piece of land and property here uh new house whatever here pretty soon so that's exciting too so a lot of cool stuff going on always interesting and exciting uh thank you so much brandon for joining us and the american one jack thanks for hosting it's good to see everybody on panel eric thanks for uh popping in and saying hello and getting some uh info out to us and it's always good to see everyone in chat uh, I'm the American one on the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore A Keens on the IG. That's A-C-H-E-N-E-S. And uh, yeah, you guys can uh, go to Dagger Gardens via emiaces.com. Make it easy for you. If you want emiaces or hit me up on the DMs and we can work something out. So yeah, that's about it, everybody. Have a great week and we'll catch you next week. Thank you so much for joining the American one. If anybody's looking for me on social media, you can find me like my logo right here at Jack Greenstock on Instagram or Cannabuzz, Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter. And you can email jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com if you're not on any of the social media. I really appreciate everyone. They're very, very kind comments in the chat. Don't go unnoticed just because we're not replying, but I do uh, appreciate everybody, all the questions, comments, uh, back and forth discussion. It really helps feed the show. Like these weeks are really driven by the chat and uh, everybody who listens, we just can't describe how much we appreciate you and uh, thank you again for showing up and thank you to all those who listen afterwards as well. This is Jack Greenstock signing out. Peace and love everybody. Catch you next week. Grow or love everyone. <laughs>